Welcome to Paths Less Trodden Interviews with me, Daniel Ross. This is a series of interviews about Paths Less Trodden, discussions with people who have fulfilled their ambitions where others have feared to tread. I'm interviewing entrepreneurs, investors, writers, adventurers, and anyone who is carving out the future a little differently. I really hope you enjoy. In this episode, I talk with ex-England rugby international Ollie Phillips. Paths Less Trodden is brought to you by Tsepo, one of South Africa's most exciting and sought-after fashion brands. Tsepo Molala's story, values and life philosophy are a perfect match for everything that I'm striving to show in this newsletter. From the most humble beginnings, Tsepo, meaning hope, the self-taught stylist and designer, has built his business from the ground up and is recognised as one of South Africa's hippest denim brands. He's a born fighter and entrepreneur of the best kind, Follow his rise to international stardom on Twitter and Instagram at Seppo Jeans in both cases, that's spelled T-S-H-E-P-O. Follow the celebrities and tastemakers who love him by checking out the beautiful presidential slim fit jeans at seppo.shop. Enjoy the show. Rugby, wreckage and redemption. England rugby captain Ollie Phillips' stories of elite sport, great adventures and mental health. Ollie Phillips is no Nikola Tesla, Leonardo da Vinci, Benjamin Franklin, nor Aristotle. One must bring the man down to earth before lavishing too much praise. Reasonably, most of us never hit such polymathic heights, so let's call Ollie a generalist. And by the way, one who has successfully scaled Everest and played rugby on it. So there's a height the inventor of the induction motor, the founder of the Lyceum, and the founding father never negotiated. The warning against being a generalist has persisted for hundreds of years in dozens of languages. Equipped with knives all over, yet none is sharp, warn people in China. Many of the most high-impact individuals, however, contemporary and historical, have been generalists whose lessons Ollie follows, deliberately or otherwise, combining interests to maximise their creative impact. Ollie captained England Rugby Union Sevens, He was voted best sevens player in the world in 2009. He is a four times Guinness world record holder. He is a writer, sports commentator, motivational speaker, fundraiser, adventurer, holder of a Cambridge University MBA, and lastly, a director at professional services network PWC. This perhaps the grout holding together the prettier tiles in his mosaic career. His is not the archetypal professional sportsman story. He won accolades and trophies, but has also ridden a swerving roller coaster of self-discovery and introspection. His on-field victories speak for themselves, but his failings and foibles shine a greater light on his being. His paths less trodden qualification is literal. He's played rugby on Everest, ventured to the North Pole, and sailed around the world. To understand how Ollie rose to the pinnacles of his sport, played for the biggest club side in the world, captained his country, but then veered off into addiction and depression. Carry on listening. Rugby is better than tiddlywinks. Ollie's description of himself as a, quote, short fat kid who was bizarrely quite fast, conjures cartoonish images of a wind-up, rotund, speedy Gonzalez, astounding rugby teammates and opposition with unexpected endeavours. Quote, I was good at it. 
I used to score the winning try, so was more inclined to play that than other options like tiddlywinks. A Darwinian mindset from a young age. Ollie's parents divorced when he was 10, splitting the family, and so rugby became his community, an outlet for frustration, an environment where praise and support flowed, a band-aid substitute for a father who conferred little emotion and inclined to criticise first, quote, someone just so disinterested in everything that I'm passionate about and giving me no recognition and reward every time I seek it. Where his mother, quote, a hero, would think, Selling ice cubes in the Gobi Desert, a brilliant idea. Rugby granted equilibrium and role models. It also fueled an ego whose kindling required regular replenishment. Divorce is common, but lack of paternal acknowledgement is harrowing. Rugby was a constant. The highs were addictive, but they masked insecurities. They became an adolescent comfort blanket via a rugby scholarship to Brighton College, and they kept Ollie afloat during a 10-year playing career when adoration and self-admiration were in plentiful circular supply. Sport was solace, but it was also a dependency. It's fealty a great sucker. Forrest Gump, obsessed. An obsession with multiple sports came from the satisfaction that team play delivered and the physiological rush of perpetual exercise. Each athletic discipline was a gateway drug to the next. Ollie captained the school for rugby, playing England juniors at the same time. He played England water polo, ran and played cricket for Sussex County and played hockey for South East England. Worse vices for a teenager, but sport was joy mixed with obsession. Quote, I remember at 16 to 17 when girls were coming into my life, I became very body conscious about getting a six pack. I realise what a load of nonsense now, but then it was everything. My mum would pick me up and my brother from school, and I'd throw my bag into the back of the car, put my trainers on, and in my full shirt and trousers from school, I'd run home, and I'd race her home. It was about a five or six mile journey, but if traffic was bad, well, I'd be home first. I became properly obsessed. If I was going out for drinks, I'd go down to the beach in the evening in my jeans, my jumper, and my usual black shoes, but I'd run there, so I'd turn up absolutely pissing with sweat. It's utterly ridiculous, right? but I was just obsessed by it because I love the feeling. Coupled with that, I'm good at it, and I enjoy the mental battle of it. You might be more talented than me, but I can outlast you. I've worked so hard to get my level of fitness up that I can be competitive with you. The characteristics that hatch winners sit atop the precipice of a sheer drop. First failure. Reveling in recognition and praise, Ollie, in his words, fucked up my A-levels, spent too much time on a rugby field chasing skirt. An unintentional but diverting image of a young man clearly looking to score at all costs. Durham University gave him a lifeline and Ollie collected a fine business BA while getting in the door at Newcastle Falcons, the natural move. Best player in the world. The ego had landed, but... Durham provided direction and stability. Newcastle presented a platform to build a professional career, and this ultimately elevated Ollie to captain the England Sevens team, win the Global Sevens Player of the Year award in 2009, and launch peak period Ollie at Stade Francais in Paris, the biggest club side in the world at the time. Here was the opportunity to prove himself further at 15 aside alongside luminaries like James Haskell, Tom Palmer, Sergio Parisi 
and Lionel Boxis, by which time he'd cast off the shackles which inhibited his Newcastle career, a time of self-doubt, burden of error, apprehension for injury, and the focus on, quote, just getting through it. How easily the veneer of fearlessness is scratched. Quote, I wasted four or five years of my talent at the beginning that I didn't need to. My energy had shifted from enjoying and celebrating my God-given talents to worrying. The magical 2009 England year, then signing for Stade Francais at 26, flicked the switch and freed Ollie to play his juiciest rugby. Now I'm speaking your language. So much for the English win abroad stereotype, Ollie immersed himself in the French language with great vigour. Learning the language meant becoming part of the team fabric. Quote, there were lots of people who could speak English, but they didn't want to. And I fucking loved that. It was unashamedly saying, no, fuck you. I'm not going to bother. They know I can't speak it, but when, the, when they see how hard you're trying, then they love you. Then they welcome you with open arms and the whole city becomes a totally different place. But until you get to that tipping point, it's a pretty lonely place. Paris in a nutshell. The final whistle. And then it was all over. I was desperate. The rugby career ended quite suddenly in 2012 at the World Cup after a calf injury and an unavoidable operation which took away the go-faster sprinting stripes, rudimentary to a winger, especially in the shorter format. Dreams were shattered, withdrawal and denial set in. Ollie explains, you're obviously seeking that drug again, so first of all there was massive denial for me. I had a plan to go to the World Cup, to the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow, and then to the Olympics in Rio in 2016. Turbulent waves turned to opportunity soon through an invitation by Sir Robin Knox Johnston to join the clip around the world yacht race. This would become a life-changing experience. Even then, Ollie thought he would take a year away from professional sport and return gloriously to playing again. Delusions of grandeur, he says himself. Ollie imagined sailing as opiate to the drug of professional rugby, status, recognition and reward. Clipper bought into the vision too of ex-England captain pin-up PR stunt, their first port of call Rio, his last dance on the Copacabana three years later with World Cup trophy aloft. Doubtless Ollie would run to this presumptive beach party in full training gear and beat the team bus to it for the endorphin blast. Right time, right place. The return to rugby was a chimera, but Clipper put a match to further feats of daring. The Wooden Spoon charity had picked up wind of the sail and invited Ollie to lead an expedition to the North Pole to set a record for the northernmost rugby match in history. Clipper also tacked Ollie to PWC. He met a partner on the leg of a race who was so impressed with his leadership that he as good as hired him on the spot. Take note, networkers, where the real action is. It's clearly not LinkedIn. Father and son nosedive. This phoenix rising from the ashes was synchronous with a nosedive in Ollie's testy relationship with his father. Quote, It deteriorated massively. After I retired, the only time that my dad's remotely ever had positive words about my rugby, rugby career was when I got voted best player in the world. The other one was when I signed for Stad, because I signed for a lot of money. Suddenly he thought, oh wow, well done son, living in Paris. When I came back from the Clipper race, their relationship totally flopped to the point where we didn't talk, and that lasted three years. 
it culminated in a big fuck you moment. And that's when I went through this journey of depression. Despite the afterglow of elite sport opening doors to new ventures, quote, I totally lost control after the Clipper race because everything that I took motivation from that gave me security, identity and community was rugby. And that had vanished. The rugby artery was severed and Ollie was detached without the game he loved. Quote, the euphoria and excitement of a crowd, being a somebody in the press with the sponsors, all that vanishes from the moment you stop, literally. It's scary how quickly it drops. That hits your ego and your pride. The abrupt dislocation, not from a career, but from a way of life, was disorienting, a mental freefall. Quote, what do I do? What value do I bring now? Imposter syndrome. Walking into PwC already as a director and with an expectant team was daunting, even for a man who has faced down Jonah Lomu. Quote, I was very technically skill-specific. My role was to execute certain things like passing or kicking. I'm walking into an environment where technically I'm useless. I've never done it before. I don't know anything about it. I'm surprised I'm still here. I'm meant to be bringing all these softer skills into the environment, but I don't feel like I've got any credibility or any value. I get replies in technical jargon and I've no idea what we're talking about. It was a very lonely, bewildering, unsettling place. I wondered whether the know-how of playing high-pressure sport accords the apparatus and panorama to cope with these new corporate challenges. I believe transfers from club to company work, if well-engineered, but have lower odds of smooth transition without a drawbridge between vessel and landing point. Quote, When you dealt with disappointment in your playing career, you were always confident that you've got the capability. Okay, this club doesn't like me. I fucked up in that game. But I know exactly what I did wrong. I know exactly how to put it right. And I still back myself. I didn't have any of this technical competency anymore. I didn't have any clarity about how I build it up. That is unsettling. Six years in, the kid in a sweet shop, all nervous energy, desperate to prove myself, has settled. It's far more at ease and phlegmatic. A conversion not dissimilar to the mental release on arrival at Stade Francais after the Newcastle apprenticeship. God's gift learns how to build relationships. Away from work, there were different mental obstacles. With his father's shadow in the background, adapting to life away from the roaring stadium, Ollie sought refuge in countless casual, futile, romantic flings, chasing repeated affirmation, manufacturing immediate but emotionally hollow highs. Quote, I met a girl and took her to the Bahamas after two days. My addiction was that feeling that I used to get from sport. You're selected to play for England, feeling like somebody, feeling recognised, adored, loved, cared for. And I got that from women. Huge, high, intense moments of emotion and connection. I want to feel like you love me more than anything in the world. I needed those big euphoric highs. The turning point was a girlfriend's miscarriage. Ollie had emotionally checked out and she was distraught. He's ashamed of his behaviour. His counselling started to disentangle the post-rugby self-deception. Quote, I was an arsehole, but I was an honest arsehole. So you're one of seven girls, but I'm telling you the truth. So that's fine. It took his now wife Lucy to break the spell. Formerly one of the seven, she booted him into touch and he respected her for that. In his gut, he knew she was right. She was the soulmate he'd been looking for. 
Holly has continued his therapy, unscrambling his need for recognition and reward. An athlete craving the limelight is not uncommon, but in this case, a filial chasm aggravated the itch. Today, Ollie is a family man with three children. He has reconciled himself to a manageable, if one-dimensional, paternal relationship. And right now, the only Guinness on his mind is more world records. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you did, please subscribe to my interviews at danieljross.substack.com and please, of course, share with friends. Till next time.